to hear my conversation with Catherine Lee and Homey Sadiq. We talk all about quality companies, what it means to be a quality company, how those companies are identified, and how they change with market environments. I hope you enjoy it. This podcast is for informational purposes only. Information relating to investment approaches or individual investments should not be construed as advice or endorsement. Listeners should seek professional advice for their situation. Welcome to the McKinsey Investments Podcast. My name is Matthew Schnur, and I'm delighted to have two guests today, Catherine Owen and Umay Sidi. Both join us from the Global Equity and Income Team. Uh, welcome to the podcast. Hi, Matt. Hi, Matt. Thank you for having us. Happy you're both here. I thought we'd uh, center this conversation all about quality and how you think about quality companies, uh, as that's, uh, I know, a, a large part of your investment process. So maybe I'll start with just a foundational question. Uh, I'll turn it over to you, Omay, to, to get us started. How do you define quality in an organization or a company? A lot of people are interested in quality. Um, I think there are financial metrics, um, fundamentally, that reflect quality. So the most obvious one is a high return on invested capital um, over time. I think quality, you know, financial metrics reflect quality, but they don't really define it, right? You have to be able to understand why the returns on invested capital can be sustainable. Um, and so you have to look through accounting into what the reality is. I think at the heart of it for us, you know, because the world is so competitive, advantages are arbitraged away by competition all the time. Sure. So for us, the question is, does the company have a competitive advantage that benefits cash flow? Does it have a moat or barriers to entry? And that combination, you know, scale economies, network economies, switching costs, process power, branding, and others, that allows us to examine at a unit cost level, is this company growing advantages? How can we drive them, you know? And then we look at the industry economics and how those advantages allow the firm to capture those economics. Right. We look at the nature of competition. And that's kind of how we define quality. If we see a company that has those advantages, can sustain them, and the management is, in fact, typically, we prefer growing those advantages. Great context for the, for the basis of the conversation. Well, mate, you sort of listed off a series of modes or competitive advantages that some companies may enjoy. Uh, I'm curious, how consistent are those advantages that you're looking for amongst either geographies or industries? Is there a significant difference as you get into different countries or, or different sectors of the economy that you're, that you're specifically looking for? No, not at all. I think uh, there are really, really great companies all over the world. There are many companies in Europe, in Asia that are more competitive than American companies. Now, America has the largest number of great companies and very, sure. very strong advantages. But in many aspects of the world, the leaders are not American. So for example, for semiconductors, we have NVIDIA in the US, but we have TSMC in Asia and ASML in Europe. And so no, the, the, the demands are kind of absolute in terms of quality that we place on, on, on the companies that we examine for our dream team list in our portfolios. And Catherine, maybe just the, the second part of that. So when you look at industry over industry, are there, are there significant different quality factors that you're looking for in companies that, uh, that span the different industries? Not really. Uh, when we're looking at quality companies, we 
tend to look for companies with strong financial attributes relative to peers. And typically, that means we are looking at leaders um, in their respective industries or leaders in their respective niches. So when we're looking at quality, as Omi mentioned earlier, what we really want to focus on is that sustainability and durability of earnings um, over a complete economic cycle. And I think the benefit of our investing style is that we can go anywhere in the world. We can go into any industry looking for good quality companies in their respective areas. Great. Uh, well, maybe we'll fast forward to today and, and talk a little bit about the evolution of quality potentially in different market environments and as, uh, as markets remain dynamic, what, what quality uh, means. So uh, I think maybe the most recent significant uh, thing that the market is digesting, or one of them surely, is uh, what seems like a new environment for interest rates. Um, we, we've uh, fast forwarded from an interest rate environment of close to zero or sometimes negative in some parts of the world uh, to what I will say more normalized interest rates, higher interest rates. Has that shifted the attractiveness of, of either industries or changed the characteristics of quality that you're looking for in companies? In terms of the impact of rising interest, rate, interest rates on the companies that we invest in, this is um, something we've actually talked a lot about in 2021 in our quarterly letters to, to clients. We were thinking a lot about the impact of rising inflation, rising interest rates, and what that, how that would impact um, not only the companies that we own, but the market environment uh, that that we are investing in. Uh, so, in terms of the impact of rising interest rates on the companies that we own, uh, one of the advantages of buying high quality companies is that because of their their competitive strengths, um, they tend to be highly cash flow generative. And at the same time, they also tend to have quite strong balance sheets. So in an environment where we're seeing interest costs rise um, on debt, these companies are because they generate such strong cash flows, are in a very good ability in order to offset or, or absorb the impact of rising interest rates. Another advantage that these companies have is that they tend to be self-funding so that they don't need to raise debt in order to um, fund their daily cost of operations. Now, when we're thinking about rising interest rates and how companies can be disadvantaged, clearly the weaker companies in an industry can be disadvantaged or even financially challenged in an environment where interest costs are increasing. And that will actually give an even greater advantage to the stronger companies because the stronger companies with good cash flows, good balance sheets can actually use that to their advantage and by their competitors that are in a, in a weaker position. So from these perspectives, we believe that owning higher quality companies in a rising interest rate environment um, not only enables these companies to better weather a rising interest rate environment, but also thrive and get competitively stronger in such a situation. Thanks for that context, Catherine. Uh, excellent. 
Uh, I'm curious, uh, outside of debt, which you've rightly narrowed in as a really critical factor as interest rates go up and, and companies' ability to, to earn and, and remain high quality, but there's also been a, a shift in focus on industry. Uh, take an industry like banking or, or any other industry. Are you seeing uh, high quality companies shift from one industry to the other? Uh, or, and is there any movement from that? Maybe Omi, I'll turn it to you for your thoughts. Yes, Matt. So each of our companies have their own drivers. So with regards to interest rates, some companies uh, are more impacted than others. So for example, banks are impacted both on the liability side as well as what they might earn on their assets. So what's really important is whether there's a steepening sort of the, of the yield curve, as well as what ultimately the loss ratios end up being because with higher rates, potentially more people uh, may not be able to carry the debt they've already assumed. But if you right. look at other businesses like financial exchanges, when you have higher interest rates, they get a direct benefit on their assets. They get net interest income and it flows straight to the bottom line. Furthermore, the higher rates drive volatility in market activity, which also drives volumes for their products. So actually, it's very favorable to them. Um, and because most of our companies broadly, um, like Catherine said, are not uh, reliant on interest rates other than specific industries like insurance, financials, etc., um, it isn't actually widely impactful. Um, the way we kind of look at it, I would actually broaden that out and say the companies have made a lot of investments in one environment when rates were lower, et cetera. And I think with the higher rates we get to see, it's kind of the tide has flown out oh, whose sure. investment was really, really lucrative and whose was strategic versus who was really just risk on. So that's what the higher interest rates kind of reveal. Um, relative uh, soundness and prudence and, and uh, managerial acuity. If I can add to that, because if you think about why interest rates are higher today, it's higher because inflation is higher. Sure. So in this context, we really want to focus on companies that do have pricing power, mm. that have the ability to pass rising costs to the customers in order to protect their margins and their profitability. Um, so for that reason, owning high quality companies is quite important because a lot of these companies, because they tend to be the industry leaders, do have very strong pricing power, which they have been able to pass through rising costs and protect their earnings as, as we've experienced with, with many of the companies that we own across the portfolio. There's a mix of like market factors and operational factors. You know, when we look at the way we invest, people say we have high rates today, but actually we have a normal interest rate environment today. It's not right. actually that high historically. It's changed fast, but it's a normal environment. And our investment approach was developed and tested through normal interest rate environments. You know, it worked through higher interest rate environments than even today. And it worked through a zero interest rate environment as well. And I think there's the same kind of resume at our dream team companies, where these companies were built through periods of higher interest rates, higher inflation. So when Catherine speaks of their pricing power, we've seen what those were in different markets in real time. What was, you know, Heineken's pricing power in Mexico or Turno Ricards in, in, in Asia and so on and so forth. So it's, uh, there's a lot of evidence kind of underpinning, um, how we look at these things. 
That's great. I, I love the idea of you have these different real experiments uh, as you experiment in different countries around the world that may have different environments over time that really allow you to stress test the organization. Uh, very insightful. Um, I'm curious about uh, what I view as another quite a large market uh, theme, particularly this year, and that's sort of AI, large language models, everything machine learning, uh, and really this idea of the acceleration of technology, call it. What's your stance on sort of investing in companies uh, that are undergoing sort of that technological uh, disruption? Uh, and, and how has the acceleration of AI, or has it changed your view on quality? I don't think that AI has changed our definition of quality. I mean, if, if you think about technology in general, um, including AI, it's been a form of innovation that that's existed for, for decades and decades and decades. And this most recent iteration is generative AI, um, which some view um, to have an even larger impact than some of the innovation that we've seen over the last decade to do or two, and that's that's TBD. Um, what I will say is that we are invested in companies that benefit directly or indirectly in, in generative AI. Um, that can be through the semiconductor companies um, that, that make chip themselves that sure. serve um, uh, the purpose of um, enabling AI. Or it can go to um, the equipment manufacturer, the semiconductor equipment manufacturer themselves, like LAM, LAM Research, um, that provides a lot of the, the, the wafer fabrication equipment uh, for semiconductor companies. Or even in um, a company like, like TSMC in Taiwan um, that, um, that provides the foundry that actually makes the semiconductor chips for the design companies, say, for like NVIDIA. Great. So it sounds like you sort of addressed the one side, which is uh, the companies that are benefiting directly with this uh, with this uh, transition. I'm curious on the sort of flip side, are there losers in this transition as you see the emergence of AI? Is it too early to tell if there's going to be fundamental losers or are you seeing a deterioration in quality in any particular areas of the market? You know, both on the winner's and losers, we don't actually know yet who will ultimately win and who will lose, right? We know some who benefit today, right? Um, it remains to be seen who will ultimately win and it's because there are phases to these developments. Um, right now, the fundamental layers are being put, but the ultimate layer, like the applications that will be uh, made out of this, those companies may not yet be born, um, remains to be seen. So, and when you met, I, I kind of want to take your question at, at, and look at the premise a little bit, because you spoke about technological acceleration, you know, um, I don't know that it's accelerating because accelerating is the second derivative, right? It's not even sure. a fast speed, right? So if you look at how fast the internet expanded, it was really, really fast adoption. Jeff Bezos famously saw this when he was working at Dean Shaw and said, things don't grow this fast, right? Which made right. him start Amazon. And then uh, it took a long time for that to play out from 1995 when Jeff Bezos made this statement until, you know, some of the companies that dominate the internet weren't even founded till a decade later, right? And if you look at the next big uh, tech thing was cloud, right. even that's still in the early stage. You have a lot of on-premise companies switching to cloud. They thought they'd get wiped out. 
but they had some advantages, you know, some of the same ones that I listed earlier, because, you know, their customers had switching costs, they had process power, meaning they were so ingrained in the workflow and the cumulative knowledge of, of, of their customers, et cetera. So even with the cloud, right, where we haven't seen all of it, right? And so there's a human nature to try and extrapolate, you know, quite, quite aggressively. I remember uh, a friend of mine just posted an article from 2021 saying, nobody's going back to the gym and he surveyed millennials. Um, and 82% of millennials said they would not return to the gym because they right. preferred working from home, right? So it is very, very early. And even with acceleration, generative AI might be accelerating very fast, um, or rather accelerating, and the growth might be fast. But how it will actually in, like seep into all these different markets and all these different industries, I think, and uh, the waves of who will create uh, the next giant companies, uh, I think that might take a little bit longer than people think. And yeah, of course, we pay attention to our companies and who we think might be at risk. That's great. Feel free on this next one to disagree with the premise. But to me, as we're talking about these regime changes or changes in markets, uh, the quality of management of your quality, identified quality companies must be critical uh, as, uh, as their best place to figure out how to position the company uh, in what is a unpredictable and rapidly changing environment as it always is. I'm curious, one, do you agree with that premise? And two, how do you evaluate sort of uh, management and their uh, and leadership and ability to adapt? I think it's very important to work to understand managements. Um, we were fortunate, uh, rather before I go into to the fortune, the first question is, are they stewards? You know, are they looking after the shareholders' interests or are they empire building? You can really see the choices they are making. Right. Um, what choices are not even on the table that should be because of the culture, right? The really great management can see opportunities in challenging environments and have a structure that allows them to take advantage of these things. And so like the recent times um, with the difficulties when we have these disruptions, so COVID, we just talked about inflation, but part of COVID was supply chain disruption, right? So it revealed to us, you know, decisions made by management, some that would have been hard to assess without that kind of a disruption. Right. Right. And so you could see both choices made in the past and you could see how do people react in real time when the weight of their decisions are much more consequential. Right. Um, so we pay a lot of attention to what management's are doing. It's very important to our process because at the heart of it, if I really take a step back, if we invest in these great companies that have, you know, market power, competitive advantages, there have been companies that were great, that lost their way, right? So we have to kind of make sure that these stewards of these great assets are actually deepening the moat, deepening the competitive advantages. Great, maybe a follow-up on that. So in the case where they aren't deepening the moat, is there early warning signs that you can identify with managements that uh, might indicate that the quality company is deteriorating? Or is it uh, something that uh, is sort of, uh, every situation is unique and different? I think you can definitely see signs where the quality of a company is deteriorating. And that's what we do. As only mentioned, we look at both qualitative and quantitative attributes when assessing whether a company is, is quality. And one of the most important metrics in terms of assessing whether a company is quality is, is that durability 
of unit economics, that durability of return on invested capital, or the incremental margin earned on every extra dollar of sales. So when we're looking at the companies that we want to invest in and stay invested in, what we want to ensure are those metrics continue to be sustainable. And when we see some deterioration in any one of those metrics, then we really want to dig in and look at whether or not it's, it's transitory or whether or not there's something structural going on, in which case we would want to, to, to sell that stock. Maybe we'll, we'll find, uh, conclude with just one uh, last question. If you're looking forward in the, say, medium term, the longer term, say three to 10 years, whatever, whatever time frame you want, uh, and you're thinking about quality companies, it sounds like a lot of what we've covered today uh, is pretty um, in place and, uh, and unlikely to change as far as durability of, of models. What do you think is the most important uh, factors sort of going forward that uh, maybe are arising in importance or, or, uh, or that you're paying more close attention to than you have uh, for the next sort of medium term? I guess in terms of the factors that we're thinking about in investing in quality companies, I, I don't think that changes depending on the market environment that we're in. If you think about the types of companies that we invest in and even the types of companies that are our dream team, almost all of these companies have many, many decades of not only growth, but shareholder value creation. So they have a proven ability to navigate many, many different types of environments and sustain their, their leadership qualities and sustain the creation of shareholder value. Uh, so in that context, you know, as we talked about the quality of management and capital allocation earlier, that's where we really have to entrust management as Omi said earlier, to be stewards of capital, to be able to allocate capital effectively, no matter which environment that we're in, whether that means reinvesting into the business, maybe you know buying more automation equipment to lower lower the cost base, to invest more in research and development, or do M and A um, to make strategic M and A, whether it's a weaker competitor or to move into an adjacent space, and then we look at what they're doing with their excess capital, um, and, and whether or not they're returning that to shareholders in the form of, of buybacks and, and dividends. Um, so that's why when we're looking at the quality of company, capital allocation is a very important metric that we use to assess that quality and help us determine how sustainable the business is in and management in terms of, um, of creating that durability in um, compounding wealth over the long term. That's great. Omei, anything to add? Honestly, that was a fantastic answer. Um, uh, maybe I'll add a more nuanced point. The factors and the importance of quality and how it will be sustained doesn't change. But something that's really interesting is that um, time reveals, right? And you know, when you take something like generative AI or whatever evolutions happen in industry, time allows us to get a bit more clarity on aspects of all these different businesses. And so for us, we're just looking forward to learning more about these companies. Um, an example might be when um, LinkedIn and Facebook were started. This is a famous example. People thought Facebook would have been able to attack 
uh, LinkedIn because it had such a bigger user base. But ultimately, they were not able to do so, even though they obviously had a very, very strong user base. They benefited from network economics. They did an acquisition that positioned them in the professional space. But consumers just said no. So if you're thinking about the boundaries of competitive advantage, you would have thought that that boundary was gray, but actually it was a hard black line, right? Mm. And so with time, um, you know, new things emerge. There's always stuff to learn about, even the companies we know well, but the qualities don't change. Wonderful answer to conclude on. Thank you both, Catherine and Ome, for spending some time with me, really doing a masterclass on quality uh, companies. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Matt. Thanks, Matt. content of this podcast, including facts, views, opinions, and recommendations, is not to be used or construed as investment advice and is not an offer or an invitation to buy or sell any security. The content of this podcast should not be relied upon for any purposes and McKenzie Financial Corporation is not responsible for any reliance upon it. This podcast includes forward-looking information that reflects our current expectations or forecasts of future events. Forward-looking information is subject to risks, uncertainties, and assumptions that could cause actual results to differ materially from those expressed herein. Our views are subject to change based on market conditions. Commissions, trailing commissions, management fees, and expenses may be associated with mutual fund investments. Please read the fund facts and prospectus before investing. The indicated rates of returns are historical annual compounded total returns, including changes to unit values and reinvestment of all dividends or distributions and does not take into account sales, redemptions, distribution, or optional charges or income taxes payable by any security holder that would have reduced returns. 